Pocket Jasons, the podcast where your hosts Kira, DJ, and Niall explore the overlapping worlds of Magic the Gathering and poker with you, one concept at a time. So how's everybody doing this week? We've had a crazy one. It's snowing. Snowing in Ireland. It's not sticking, though, as our mammies would all say. It's not sticking <laughs> to the ground, but uh, there is snow in the air. It's been romantic while I've been staring at my at my window doing work and playing poker in the evenings. You know, it's been a, a winter wonderland. Uh, How have you guys been finding not, it up north? Not too shit on this majestic parade, but I don't think we've had any snow up here, Niall, have we? Uh, we, we have, but we're much higher in the mountain than you guys are. Uh, so okay. we've, we've, we've had snow I'm, I'm very much sea level here. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, yeah, just talking about the weather, just interesting podcast. Yeah, exactly. How about, yeah, um, I have been playing 25 NL Zoom. So me and Kieran have been playing a bit of 50 NL. I've uh, moved down and playing a little 25 NL now. There are promotions in the Poker Stars like challenges window. So that always softens up the pool. And I've been having a lot of fun with that. Been playing a little bit of standard, still playing uh, Blue Red Snow, which has been great fun. And still jamming away at Cal Time Limited. Apart from that, zero crack. How about you, Deej? Um, yeah, I have just been kind of working away as usual. Um, we are pretty busy currently. Um, we are coming up to the deadline for our application again after it got pushed back by a month. Um, Games-wise, I had a little session on Sunday. It went absolutely miserably. Um, haven't played that much Magic. And I've played a decent amount of Cal Time, and we'll talk about it. Li- we'll talk about that later. But um, I've, I believe we have some shared opinions on that. Yeah, so we'll move on to that uh, in a little bit. That'll be kind of our main focus again, is talking talking again about Caltime this week, limited and standard. Uh, in terms of poker this week, yeah, I haven't really been playing that much. Again, just been playing some Zoom, some cash, which is been grand you know feel like i'm just i'm playing decently and, and working away there uh in terms of magic yes we've been playing a good bit of cal time standard really enjoying that i've moved on to playing sultai ultimatum because uh i always got to find something slightly more unf- unfair to do in a format after a little while so nice. that's been pretty good uh and we also have a bit of magic band news that i think we forgot about we oh yes about of course this week, yes. so we can talk about this first there's, there's two f- interesting parts to this one so wizards have pre-announced that uh uro nature of titan's wrath is that what he's called whatever the fuck he's called yeah is uh is being banned in almost every format under the sun so uro is going to get the ban hammer in historic pioneer and modern and they said they're still thinking about whether he's banned in legacy or not so and if you're thinking well this is weird why are they giving kind of maybes it's because they announced this ban in the main text of an article uh, describing the new secret layers that they're releasing, one of which contains Uro. So because Uro's in the secret layer, and they obviously knew there would be absolute uproar if they sold people the card and then announced it was banned, 
they must have felt like they had to tell people they were going to ban it at the same time they announced this so people didn't feel hard done by if yeah. they bought the, the card, which is fair. But it's just very funny to see a secret lair being the place that, you know, competitive announcements are being made now. <laughs> it's kind of, it's something you really would not associate or, or hope would be a thing. But uh, but it does make sense from their point of view. Yeah, oh, I think yeah, so. for sure. Um, yeah, if they, they... Can you imagine the amount of shit wizards would get if people bought these by by the train load and then banned this when's when's the announcement happening is it sometime the next week i'm not sure if they've said i think they just said uh you know coming soon type yeah. thing yeah. okay For, um so yeah there would have been absolute uproar everybody would have been saying how shady it is and i wouldn't i wouldn't disagree with them either <coughs> for getting everybody to purchase this product just to make it unplayable yeah exactly so i think we're all in agreement that so moving on to what do we think of the ban i presume there's not going to be much disagreement here but uh my opinion incredibly long overdue uh especially for historic i think it's just by far and away has been the best card in historic the entire time we've had multiple high level historic tournaments where the card has been the most played card you know Solte has been the most played played deck all that stuff um, Pioneer, yeah, again, just clearly seems like the best card going, seems like an easy ban. And Modern, I mean, listen, like, Uro with Fetchlands is even better than Uro in those other formats, right? Yeah. So, again, it just it just seems like an easy ban to me. I would also like to see it banned in Legacy, again, because in Legacy you just have even more one-mana cantrips and ways to fuel your graveyard and stuff like that, so it's even a ridiculous threat there, you know what I mean? 100%, couldn't agree more. Um I don't think I can add anything to that. I mean, well, one, one slight thing I would add is I totally agree, long time coming, ridiculously powerful magic card, dominating multiple formats. And also, it's the type of magic card that I don't like being around when people are getting into magic. Like, when people lose to an Euro, they kind of don't really understand why they lost. It's like, when they play turn three Euro, it's like, you've lost the game, but you really don't know it yet. And it's yeah. it just get kind of this gradual card advantage thing, and it's just obscenely powerful. You can't attack it with aggro. We I think we discussed this in the Discord. The problem with Uro is that it kind of wins the game on multiple angles, right? It gains the life, it draws the card, it recurs, it so it creates this like card advantage thing, it ramps. So it's like you can't really attack the thing. I mean you can play Grass Tigger Cage, fair enough, but still you're not really getting anything out of that exchange. You've got a you've got a kind of one for one. And they've still like ramped and gained, gained some life once, so there's no real way to deal with it. That's that's kind of robust enough um, in the format in any format it plays, really. Yeah, totally so. agree. I think there's, I think it's just like, I mean, of all the problem cards they've designed in the last couple of years, I think it's it's just cleared the worst, you know. And there's like it's it's taken this long. At least it's been banned. I guess that's all we can say. I yeah. have my showcase my showcase copies so uh, i'm a bit sad that i didn't sell them at some point very pretty silly of me but hopefully i can keep those around for a couple of years and then uh, some edh players will buy them off me or something yeah. where it's still legal fine. yeah but uh but that's it uh, apart from that is there anything else we think we're possibly going to see in this upcoming ban and restricted announcement that could be the reason they haven't done it yet is they're they're sure about uro in those formats but they're not sure about what else they're going to ban i would imagine tybalt's trickery and modern is either going to see a ban or or it's going to see a rework or something. Maybe not Tibble's Trickery. 
maybe Valky though, maybe Tipple itself. One of those two cards, I think, kind of has to has to change. I think so. Yeah, I think um, eh, probably just the trickery. It's probably uh, although they they hate banning the new cards, don't they? But the two cards you named are new. Um, yeah, but they're kind of two different decks to be clear as well. The trickery oh. deck is is trying to get out an Emrakul on turn one or two or whatever, and the the Valky deck is, uh, or maybe people are putting them in the same deck now. I don't even know. But the Valky deck is people are trying to cascade into the, into the Valky. Oh, is banning yeah. Emrakul reasonable? Do you think? No, I mean there's just a million other big things you can cascade into yeah. to win the game as well, right? Yeah. So that's fair. Um, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where you you know you ban the show and tell or the sneak attack rather than the Emrakul. I think so. Yeah. Um, are any of them yet. as impactful as em- Emrakul, though? Like, I'm just trying to go through it in my head, and I'm thinking, does, is there anything as robust as the, the Spaghetti Man? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but... Yeah. Uh, ooh. I mean, Adi Eldrazi, when you get to play it on turn two, is, is pretty... Okay, sh- but, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Uh, the other the other, Emrakul just dies to removal, though, doesn't it? Maybe you might slaver them for a turn. I mean, oh yeah, you get you, okay. You get to cast off Tibble's triggery, don't you? Yeah, it's a cast exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a lot of a lot of busts. Yeah, there. okay, okay, I see. Um, and it's like it's one of those things where the deck might be not that dominant, but it's just one of those matchups where you don't get to play magic, you know. So people really don't like that, and it probably seems you know like they might ban it for that rather than power level reasons. Like people just hate playing against these all in. You know, I either draw the perfect hand and win the game on turn one, pretty much, or. Or I lose the game, basically. Yeah, that does seem um, miserable to play against. Yeah, so so I guess that one's a maybe. And then the other one, which I think probably the card won't be banned, but they're probably going to do some kind of rules rework, is uh, Valky slash Tybalt, where if you guys don't know how the interaction, if you cascade into Valky, uh, you can cast the seven mana Planeswalker side. You don't have to cast right. the two mana creature. So basically decks are just playing a lot of fast mana and every three mana cascade spell. Um, they're also doing this in the trickery decks because it, with the trickery decks, you either you cascade it to a trickery, right? And then the trickery either cascades into it or hits another cascade spell or hits an Emrakul. So cascade is kind of the problem with both of these decks as well, funnily enough. Yeah. If you were to ban cascade, yeah. would you have to ban like three, four cards or something? Something like that. Yeah. 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 A violent outburst, uh, whatever the bant one is that gives exalted. Right. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, probably three cards. Yeah, so is, is that something that you think is on the radar? Like, could they do that? And would that solve both problems? Or is that just solving one problem and T-Belt's trickery is still a thing? Um, well, I, well, again, yeah, I mean, keep in mind, there's two things again. There's the Tybalt's trickery, yeah. and then there's the Tybalt itself. Yeah. Right, with these cards that let you play CMC2 spells, and then suddenly you're playing a CMC7 spell. So it's right. like, yeah. But, like, banning there doesn't seem like the answer to me. It seems like they should probably say this doesn't work anymore in the rules you can still play the card but if you cascade into it you're not allowed to do this oh i see they have the ability to just turn that rule off if they want and that would solve that problem okay yeah but i think it might be a quite complicated rules update i'm sure the 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 top rules people went oh my god really and they they're probably digging into like this you know hundreds of page long rules document to see what else it would affect and stuff of course Yeah. yeah yeah that makes sense but um do we think about um, historic, particularly uh, where Uro is dominant, do we think? Are you worried about any shifts in the metagame with regards to Uro coming out? Do you think the Jun's sack decks are going to become too good in that respect, or are are we too early to really just craft? Are we too early to like see what the landscape's going to be yet? Um, 
Do you have a, a, a worry a about question. do you have a worry about something like goblins or anything like that, or can everyone just jam four graph diggers? Cajun will be fine. Um, well, I think like they've shown in the past that they're okay with their ban strategy, banning you know other top tier stuff at the same time. If they're banning one overpowered card to kind of level the playing field, mm-hmm. the famous one in standard was they banned Reflector Mage, which really surprised everyone at the time. But they said, "Listen, we've looked at these decks, and if we ban Emrakul and, and Copter, but not or uh, whatever it was, I think it was Copter, but not." Reflector Mage, then Blue White Flash is just going to crush everything, so we're banning that as well, you know. Right. So yeah, they might do, they might do that. They might ban something else from the Sack deck or something at the same time. I don't really think they need to personally. I think the Rakdos Sack deck, while very strong, is kind of you know a, like a fine enough top deck in the format. If right. anything, maybe like getting rid of Uro from the format would um would would make aggro more viable right because like right. currently like on turn three the fact that they gain three life you know they're gaining six life and drawing extra cards every game against an uro deck just makes aggro very difficult to play um so maybe uro being gone from the format just makes mono red really good or mono green or something and then the racto sack deck doesn't have the tools to to beat that so they have to kind of become more mid-rangey or something exactly yeah i think i think um there's two points there a you're right there's always these balances that ha- that happen when when a card comes out and also there's no problem with and they've shown that there's no problem with there being a top deck that's okay it's just the nature of the dominance of the deck that really is the problem if if something's dominant on too dominant or unfair or dominant in a way that's not fun then they tend to ban it but if something's just the best deck because it wins 55 percent of the time that's really just fine you know, that's okay. So if John ends up being that, I think everyone's okay with that, you know. Yep, 100%. I think there are cards that they'll have to continue to look at in the context of Historic. Sure. You know, Collected Company, Super Powerful, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I th- I'm looking forward to see what the format looks like. Me Pioneer, too. honestly, I haven't looked at since COVID, basically. Okay. Um, you know, I just it's not something I've played online, so I don't really know where that format is at if people already play it anymore what the story is so that'll be interesting and i think modern people will like it because at the moment all the best modern decks are like omnath uro piles four color field of the dead value gain life draw cards piles everyone hates playing against them right right. uh, I i think it's just strictly good for modern i think it will just lead to much better gameplay in that format sweet Cool. All right. So we move on to uh, stop talking about boomer magic and start talking about uh about standard for all our our young hip fans Let's do that. Um, so standard, or do you want to talk standard first or limited? Uh, let's talk limited first, actually. All right, let's do that. Yep. Okay. So I wanted to bring in here, um, during the week, I listened to the um, first impressions episode of the limited resources uh, Cal time episode. So um, I don't know if anyone at home would listen to that podcast. We listen to it, and it's just a great podcast. I get most of my limited information from it, honestly. And most of my takes from limited formats come from listening to those guys talk, really. Um, and But this this month, um, we actually recorded our Caltime episode um, before I listened to theirs. And I wanted to bring you guys in on what they said about the format and what we said about the format last week and where these things differ. So to bring DJ up to speed um, on this as well, because DJ wasn't with us last night, or last uh, week, sorry. Kieran and I had a take on the format. I'll give you I'll give you Marshall's take on the format, and then I'll uh, I, I'll bring you guys in. So he he's got two points. His first points about the the um, mechanical complexity of the format, and he thinks it's too complex. Um, he thinks the combination of snow mana, of foretell, 
and of and of gold cards and of this kind of living weapon mechanic and runes create this soup that's just far too difficult for the new player or the non-ingratiated drafter to navigate and Luis slightly disagreed with him there in in the respect that he thought that he doesn't try to predict too much what what people find fun but um, Marshall certainly said that in his drafting experience he found himself lost in what he should be doing and you know there's lots of little rules interactions that you know one card does one thing and another card does another have you guys got any thoughts on the mechanical complexity of the set and where it is uh let's bring Um, you in kieran yeah so i i would disagree with that like i understand his point that um you know there's a lot of stuff going on but to me it's like none of the stuff is like particularly overpowering or like powerful because Mm. You know, the Fortel cards just do, you know, the Fortel cards, you cast them once, you know what they do. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not like it's complicated. The snow stuff is the most complicated, especially during the draft. Right. But, we, but we've had that before, and I think it's interesting to have that. You know, we had it with Deserts and Amonkhet. I think people found that very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the implementation of the snow stuff is maybe not the best they've ever done, but I don't think that inherently there's anything too complicated about the mechanic. And the, and the runes and equipment stuff, again, I don't know, it's just another sort of... Again, none of this is very complex mechanics. They're just different mechanics, you know? Okay, I, I would agree with that, Kieran. Um, I think that the the um, point that Marshall was making was there, there are many things going on at once. With regards to the snow, I, I do agree. Um, Marshall's point that was that, you know, in maybe in pack one, you're drafting snow and you don't know how, as a newer player, know how to prioritize the snowlands. But I think in practice, let's say you draft once a week or something like that. I was about to say it in a local game store, but no one, no one does that anymore. But, but let's say you draft once a week. I think if you pick up, let's say like Avalanche Rider and five snowlands, you're still going to get the experience of snow. You know, you don't have avalanche, to be... Avalanche Caller, I think, yeah. Avalanche or, Rider would be sweet. Oh, yeah. sorry, Avalanche Caller, that's the one. Um, but yeah, you're still going to get the experience of snow. You don't have to have the 12 Snowland deck to like play out what snow's supposed to be doing generally. Like, if you if you draft the 2-3 Troll and 5 Snowlands, the 2-3 Troll's going to do what it does in your deck. That's going to be fine. Although it's double yep, snow, I suppose. That, yep. It's more like the Heelstorm Valkyrie. Or like you know the the snow the snow pump spell for four mana that's a bomb that type of thing, but I think that's pretty clear what's going on there for most people. Um, yeah, and I, I just want to make the point as well. I haven't listened to the episode, so I don't want to be misrepresenting anything Marshall was saying. I'm just kind of going off what you're saying. So I don't absolutely. To, so yeah. I'll take full responsibility for that. If if I have misrepresented Marshall's argument, it's on me. Okay, it's not on, it's not on the other guys. So, <laughs> so moving on to the more important part of his argument, his. The second part was that despite the mechanical complexity, he thought that once you strip that away, we actually have a quite interesting format here. And that's where I majorly, majorly disagree disagree with him. I can work on a scale with regards to complexity, and maybe I don't really understand that scale because I'm so far, like I've been playing Magic for 20 years. But with this, I think the real... um, well, I'll give my opinion after. Kieran, what do you think? What do you think about the strategic complexity of this set? Where are we here? Um, I don't know. I think it's like it's probably like pretty pretty middle of the road, maybe right. slightly less complex than the average set. Like there's, I think I I don't know. I think I think it's just stuff like 
you have like you have this stuff like yeah the runes and the equipment and stuff like that but when the, the way the games play out themselves mm-hmm. like they just feel like a, a very board stally and kind of who has the biggest flyer just kind of is able to make progress in the game a lot of the time and i just haven't found it very interesting strategically i suppose yeah i, I would agree with that like my 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 problem with that marshall thinks that um we have like a re- all these different things going on when really what we have going on um especially for like a new drafter is just a bunch of like three threes and four fours and the real kind of feel bad experience for the new drafter would be you draft it once and you lose to the person with like three seraph pack mates and you don't know why and it's like well you lost because he played you know or they play, you know, two, three, threes that draw a card, and that's it. Yeah. You know, and that's, there's there's no depth there. And it, it just kind of feels like everything's, like, really homogenous in the format. Everything's a three, three, and a four, four. Um, the elf that's a four, uh, five mana, five, five, is actually a good card because it's bigger than everything else, you know? Yeah, it and is. It is a really good pick. And the, the six mana, six, six that gains life is, yeah. like, a surprisingly good card, too. It's right? just yeah. good. And I don't think we have a lot of strategic depth here. I mean, snow is kind of on rails. Like, I've, I've mentioned a couple of snow cards that work with five or six snow mana, but the rest of the cards kind of work with ten. Like, Hailstorm Valkyrie, you need ten snow lands for that thing to be good. And it's like, that's yeah. just on rails. You're snow or you're not. Um, DJ, how have you found the format? So this is your, we'll hear your opinion on the format. What, what Any bi- uh, wide thoughts on the format as of yet? Or So, full disclosure, I have played about five Cal time drafts. And I just haven't found the format fun, and I never put my finger on why, and I didn't. I I just I just didn't want to find out either. I just wasn't really having fun, and I have played. uh, For anybody that may not be aware, I have I am actually old enough to have played when Cold Snap was a thing, and. There were limited archetypes based around snow then. It wasn't fun mm-hmm. then. I don't think it's fun now. Um, I think that um, maybe just touching on something you were saying, like a player comes along and they're like, oh, I want to see what all this snow shit's about. And then they have to start prioritizing taking snow lands. And okay. they're, they're, ju- they're just not going to know intuitively. So you, you agree? Right, go ahead. In, in intuitively they're just they're they're not gonna understand we i should be picking up these new lands and then they're gonna come, come out of that draft thinking oh shit well uh, yeah. yeah one thing one thing about like luis and marshall maybe like uh, viewing the format differently like when i watched luis stream at the one time he was talking about oh i just love aggressively taking all these snow jewel lands in the first few picks and then just playing five color nonsense and i'm like that's great, Luis, but like that's not the way ninety nine percent of players are going to go about drafting this. You know, you're like one of the few players that's going to be able to successfully navigate a draft doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that just doesn't apply as a play style. I think that just doesn't apply to most of the people drafting this on Arena. They just won't think to just snap up four dual lands in the first five picks and then go from there. You know, in that respect, we agree with Marshall. We agree that um, this snow mechanic is going to be not fun for new players to draft. They don't know that they need to pack, pick up seven or eight new lands and pack one or something, right? Um, a point Marshall was making was that it's fun for us as kind of older players or, or, or more experienced players because we're in on the joke. 
we've seen like land mechanics before in limited like for example the as you said the like the carous or the uh uh cycling land something like that mm-hmm. and we're in on the joke that those things are broken we know that they're all bees right and it, it for a new player like saying oh look you can either pick this sweet gold card but you really need to pick this snow island because that's the correct pick that's really not fun for a new player and it's really it's a really hard skill to teach and pick up as well and it sucks as well if they if they do make that pick and they don't take the sweet card they want to take and then the snow thing just doesn't work out for them for whatever reason you know and they don't think their deck is very good that's just a terrible feeling after the draft absolutely and at least if they pick the sweet thing and force themselves into the sweet deck they'll probably get to play their sweet card one or one or two games in the in the draft anyway and still have the experience of the sweet card Exactly. You know, yeah. even if they lose, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't really matter. What matters for someone who drafts once a week is the play and draft experience, not necessarily how well are they doing. That doesn't really matter, you know. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I think it sounds like it's kind of we have different opinions, but like overall, are they liking the format on LOR? Um, they are. Yeah, the, the, uh, Luis and, and Marshall are really enjoying the format, but I honestly do not think at the, at the time of recording for them they had gotten, Marshall at least, had gotten to the point where they discovered this homogeny in the format that you and I, Kieran, had discovered. Mm, like, for example, let, let me give you an example. Like, Miss Walker. We identified Miss Walker as a key common really early on. It's changeling, it blocks and attacks, it does all this stuff. And, like, it's it's fun for us, and we get the joke that Miss Walker does is this tool in the format, but um, I don't think, and I think I think Marshall's there certainly, but I think he still thinks that that's new and interesting. Where we're past it, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, you draft them highly and that's it. You know, we're we're past the joke if that makes sense. Where he's he, he's like, ooh, I've just he's having this discovery moment of ooh, Miss Walker's cool, and we had that discovery moment two weeks ago. You know, yeah. It also is just like. In particular, like a 1-4 flyer being a really key strong card of the format does not really bode well for the dynamics and uh, how interesting the format is, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I wanted to briefly touch on something. They said they're still really high on Feed the Serpent. And I was saying to Sean, who was drafting last week in our channel, he was picking between Squash or Moving Color into Feed the Serpent. And it's like, Squash is actually better than Feed the Serpent. And I, I, I was thinking about something you said last week, uh, um, Kieran. That you know, black, it would be good if Black had like a stronger removal spell, like a Doomblade. I know you're being funny when you're talking about Doomblade, mm, but yeah. but Red has a Doomblade. Like Squash literally kills everything. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, it really pushes Feed the Serpent way down in in the order when when Red has this uh, has this premium removal spell available. You know. Yeah, as well, and like red is just a better color in it general, is. I think, than than black. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know the reasons that like black is a support color. You would be so interested in like we were talking about the rare minus three minus three sweeper mm-hmm. last week. The fact that that just never hits a changeling, it just just brings it down so much. Like generally, one or two of your creatures, opponents' creatures, are going to survive just because they'll have a changeling lying around, and you play that card. You know, it makes it so much weaker. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like. You know, it's a fine support color. It's whatever, but yeah, I would. I, I think the pairing with blue for red is just like so much stronger as well. I would definitely prefer to to be pushed into red. Absolutely. Plus, like bl- blue red giants is just one of the premium archetypes. It's very good. You know, 
it's just great. And DJ, do you, have you experienced this, what we're talking about with the kind of homogeny of the format, where all the decks kind of do the 3-3 three, three and 4-4 four, four thing and nothing seems to be... Or I, I'm as, as someone you were saying, DJ, you've done five drafts. What has your experience of those five drafts been? Have you won? Have you lost? Have you seen anything interesting? Has anything cut, like, popped out of the woodwork for you? Um, I won. Um, nice. I don't think... Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't I don't think anything particularly interesting happened though. Um, yeah, I think not a great sign. It yeah, um, yeah. I I just yeah. Sorry, I I really don't have a lot don't, to say about. Don't uh, worry, no. But that's, about call that's time. the point. I, I I'm I'm here for the poker knowledge and <laughs> passing that wisdom but, on to you guys. And I have a passing knowledge of Magic: The Gathering these days and. <laughs> But think about it. Like, you've done five drafts, right? Yeah. There should be something in there that you go, oh, I drafted this sweet deck that did this. There should be something in those five drafts that you can talk about, but there's not. You drafted five decks, you won a bit, and you don't really have anything too interesting to report. Uh, what does that tell you about Caldheim Cal- Limited? I did, I, I, I did do one interesting thing with the rare, where I played okay. a vehicle on turn two, three, and four, and then played the red rare that... Made a bunch of goblin or made a bunch of dwarves and um, crewed a bunch of vehicles. It was it, that that was pretty fun. But I'm glad you did. That it. is pretty sweet. That is pretty sweet because I tried that afterwards after you showed me the screenshot and it was a complete train wreck. So I'm glad it worked. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you did it because I'll never do that. So <laughs> <laughs> if it worked with the runes as well, if it worked for auras, that card would be much better because yeah, you'd have a couple of runes in that deck. I feel like yeah. So I think for the rest of this format, I'm probably just going to be forcing some sort of five-color snow nonsense, and that's going to be the source of my fun, is seeing how far I can stretch mana bases, and how far I can get bear ultimate, how often I can get bear ultimatum off. But I, I think I was getting bear ultimatum off on turn on day two or three of the format, so it's yeah, it's yeah. and the mana's really really good in the format, so you don't have to worry too much about it. Um, do you think you you guys are done with Caldime Limited, or, or are we going to come back? I'm probably done with it, to yeah. be honest. I think I, like, I've gotten most of the rares that I want, so I'm not really incentivized to draft for rares. I think I'm just going to save up, save up my gold and gems for whatever the next historic flashback draft is, to be honest, because that'll probably be more fun for me. What about you, DJ? Are you done, or are you still some Caldime left in you? Sorry, I'm chatting shits here to Kieran in the, in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing a, a poker yeah. table in the background, guys, because some of the people wanted to set up a casual game. And so DJ uh, just absolutely looks like me out with Ace King versus Ace Queen. Looks so like I played anyone... it perfectly. Get that hand on hand, week, a... please. I played it Let's absolutely do. perfectly. What the? F- okay, uh, this this week, uh, hand of the week. Let's do this. Let's do it. Love it. But uh, if you want, just pull it up. We'll do that one. That's fine. But, yeah, uh, okay, uh, sure. Great. Let's do that because I actually didn't see it because I was. <laughs> I, for those at home, I didn't see the hand because I was concentrating on the point DJ was making. But I mean, yeah, fair enough. But if you hear any ums or ahs, it means I'm contemplating a three bet. That's the what's coming. <laughs> Yes, DJ. Um, Cal Time Limited. Are you coming back? Are you done? Where are you right now? Um, I th- I think I'm done. I think I've had my fill of Cal Time Limited. Um, I I feel like I've already seen what it has to. I feel like I've experienced what it has to offer already, and I I I just I don't see a reason to go back right now. That's it, yeah. really. 
A great, great pity. Um, yeah. That seems to be the consensus on our podcast that we unfortunately don't like Cal Time Limited. And like, I don't want to spoil anyone's fun or burst anyone's bubble. If you enjoy it, please do enjoy it at home. You know, I think. Oh, I will say one thing: the flavor, the design of the the world that they've created is classic Magic: The Gathering. It's really evocative art, really evocative flavor. I think Can't it's a slam dunk that way, that that in that respect. And yep, thoughts agree, on that, guys? Agree, yeah. yeah. Oh, cannot deny. Yeah, it looks and feels great. To be fair, so the feeling it kind of feels like. I was gonna say, it feels like sagas are almost like a cheat sheet into getting really good flavor into Mm. your set. In all the sets they've used it so far, it just like since sort of story spotlight type stuff has gone away and everything like that. Or I don't know, it might still be there. I don't know, but um, it feels like yeah, sagas and the art and just the 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 things happening over three turns is like a really good way to mix mix flavor with gameplay so uh, yeah. i think they knocked it on the head with those again this time and especially you know sagas and the the kind of nordic connection and everything like that i just thought worked really well totally it feels like pure magic to me um everything magic the gathering should be it feels like the experience they're creating in this set is is spot on so well done the design team or the, the flavor team and all everyone who did art because it all looks uh, great so. they, they've been knocking it out of the park for a while to be perfectly fair to yeah. them it's been great absolutely all right, well, will we, will we knock it on the head for Caldham Limited and move on to this spicy hand that you guys were talking about? Uh, well, we want to talk about Standard. Oh, yeah. let's do that, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Standard, I have much more positive things to say, which is nice. We're not just being bummers, old, old grumpy men about the format for once. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, Standard has just been excellent. I said this last week, really been enjoying it. There's, like, all these new decks you can play. Um, you know, there's... You, uh, like like Goldspan Dragon, all these new rares have created really interesting kind of new top end. Uh, last week I was playing Is It Tempo, which you said you're on yep. this week uh, or up until this week, Niall. Uh, I moved on to Sultai Ultimatum, which seems to be the real flavor of the week deck at the moment. Uh, I kind of didn't play it for a while, and then I was like, oh, let's give this a go. So use the last of my hard-earned wild cards to, uh, to craft the rest of that deck I didn't have. And it's just been awesome. It's like it's a Yorion deck, which I hate. Uh, I, I hate that Yorion is in the format. That's a card I would love to see banned, honestly, just for it makes games so grindy and long, just like um, all the time. So not even for power level, just I don't like what it does to the length of games in the format. Uh, this is kind of a very light Lorian, Yorion deck. You have Omen of the Sea and you have uh, your Binding of the Old Gods, uh, and that's about it. You know, okay, you have your one-off Kiora Best the Sea God, but I mean, you're not... If you cast that once, you kind of don't need to orient it. To be honest, uh, you've probably already won the game. Mm. So, it's quite it's quite a light Yorion deck. Uh, like you're not running all these different enchantments and stuff like that. You're just, uh, you know, you're just um, doing your thing there. And it's really fun in terms of like the ultimatum decisions you make. It's kind of you get used to it pretty fast, but it's almost like playing with like gifts on given. Uh, I think Dave Murphy said this last week as well, where you know the piles you create are really important. And because like Vorinclex is one of the cards you often have in one of your piles with either Valky or with Kiora Best the Sea God, um, that's a really interesting thing because it makes both first two Saga triggers go off at once. Okay. If it comes in with, with Vorinclex, so that's really strong with Kiora Best the Sea God. It immediately just lock, locks down their board. So if you choose like the Time Walk, Alron's Epiphany, as well as those two, and they don't let you Time Walk, it's almost like they still let you time walk because you lock down their entire board for a turn. You know what I mean? Got you. They, they don't get an attack step next turn. Uh, so that's really nice. Uh, you have Warren Clex with 
uh, Valky, you bring it in as the Planeswalker, it comes in with double counters and you're able to ultimate straight, straight away and get a permanent Yogmoth's Will for both players' graveyards. That's pretty insane. Mm-hmm. Um, Valky in general is is just amazing in the deck. You're just playing one Ketria Triumph to splash it because you have uh, four Binding of the Old Gods, which are able to fetch Triomes because they're forests on the second step of the saga. Mm-hmm. So that's really powerful. It's one of the parts of the, the deck that your mana is always comes together for the the Sultai Ultimatum, uh, whatever it's called. Uh, I can't remember what the actual Ultimatum is called. But you bet your mana, as long as you play carefully and don't mess it up, you'll, you'll always have the perfect mana for that on turn seven or turn six. Um and yeah, it's just a really fun kind of control deck to play. I'm just really enjoying it. Uh, I kind of wish it wasn't a Yorion deck. That's the one thing I was right. thinking. Like, I wish I could make it 60 cards and just cut the Yorion, but I'm not sure if there's an easy way to do that. And then I know some people have been playing a version of the deck where they just aren't playing the ultimatums and they're just ramping into Coma, the Simic Mythic Serpent yeah. instead, yeah. Uh, which is really powerful as well. Very difficult to beat that card. Literally, your Kiora Best the Sea God mind controlling it is the only way to to beat it in this deck so that's a card that should at least be in my sideboard and maybe should be in my main deck i'm not quite sure yet yeah so i'm not sure i'm not sure if you guys have played with or against this deck but i've been i've been finding it super super fun i've played briefly against it but one thing i wanted to pick up on that you said it was about the core of the sea serpent um that card's just utterly utterly unbeatable and it's just Against control, obviously it can't be beaten. Against aggro, it still spits out tokens and taps down things, and it's massive and indestructible. And um, yeah, the, the cards are like a huge, huge top end. Have you found Kieran? Have you seen any Gruel aggro still in the format yet, or has that been hated out by all these like kind of mid rangey to slow Yorion decks? Or it, yeah, it seems to be gone. I think like okay. Binding of the Old Gods is just really tough for yep. Gruel to beat in general. Um, I think also it doesn't do amazingly against the Is It Tempo decks that were, that were gaining a lot of popularity there over the uh, over the last kind of week and a half. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just not much reason to play it. I think you can probably play like Team or Ramp at the moment if you want to play that type of deck. Or Andre Andre Strasky had a build of Gruel that he was playing recently, which doesn't have any Goldspan Dragons, doesn't have any five drops at all, and he's basically just playing like a load of good three drops much more aggro and just going into a really consistent ember cleave okay and i think if you if you want to play gruel i would say that's probably that's probably the type of deck you want to be playing i would think that's fair that's fair i've been really really excited to pick up rogues again because i played rogues last season um when i was preparing for like the mythic qualifiers and stuff and that was that was the first deck i'd actually played in constructed magic in two or three years honestly and it was a really fun deck and i think with Gruel kind of being pushed out of the format, which was kind of one of the problems for um, for Rogues. And the other problem for Rogues was the kind of red-black um, Croxa decks. Is it Croxa? Yeah, yep. Croxa. Yeah. Those, are still, those are still around as well. They're, they're gaining a little bit of popularity. Again, they got Valky, right? So that's a really strong. That's true. How, how are they against all the kind of Yorion and, and is it Tempo decks and all, all the decks you're talking about? Pretty good. Just feels like playing Jund. You know, yeah. I think you're basically like 50-50 against the field with that deck. It feels pretty good. I, w- I would recommend that one if people just want, you know, a nice deck just full of good cards they can grind with. You don't need to play any kind of 
you know, a dodgy role players, or unless you want to play Timurek Calls the Dead or something. But you don't even need to do that. You can just play a much more mid rangey version, and it's quite good. Yeah, uh, I think Rogues is. I think Rogues is really good as well. Okay, uh, like Rogues, it didn't gain much. Like you maybe want to play See It Coming or Behold the Multiverse, but sure. I think those might even be mistakes. I think you might just keep with the core of the deck that you had last season. Thanks. So. Uh, into into the story is probably probably even more unbeatable this season than it was last season, and it was pretty unbeatable last season. Right. Um, so, like that card is just bananas. Um, yeah, it's like the way, the way people are setting up their removal suites at the moment aren't great to beat rogues with. Like, uh, people are playing Shadow's Verdict, you know, five mana Wrath is really never going to resolve against rogues. No, sure. Uh, even if it exiles, you know, it's good against Luris and everything, but you should really not be losing to that card very often as, as rogues, I think, if you're planning your turns well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think rogues is just a really strong package. It's, it's not going to get much probably over the next couple sets, but... It's it's just like a really strong block constructed deck or something almost. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so I've been looking forward to playing that. Um, do you think this blue red snow tempo thing is a flash in the pan, or do you think it's here to stay? I think it's fine, but I don't know. I think it loses pretty badly to rogues. Like yeah. rogues is just able to get a board presence and basically fight you before you get any of your big hitters out. Um. I don't think the matchup against Red Black is amazing. Croxa is quite hard to deal it's with. It's not. Over the I've, long game. I've played that. It's really, really tough. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, Coma is also probably just unbeatable yep. for you if that gains more popularity. Because like that card, you would have to counter, and for some reason, it's uncounterable. I don't know why that card has that printed on it, but there you go. Uh, so yeah, I think that I think the deck is fine, but it's it's sort of it does it does its best against the orion decks so i think if you're playing against a lot of the ultimatum decks or other flavors of orion then it's it's pretty decent choice and it, and it does very well against those decks if you're not seeing a lot of those i don't really know what reason there would be to pick it over over one of the other powerful options at the moment fair but yeah i'm look i'm looking forward to getting back into standard already week two we've got this big diverse um kind of platter of strategies and nothing seems like outstandingly broken i mean i know like showdown of the skulls is a broken card and everything but it's just more that it, the shell it goes into isn't insane or anything like that um so yeah i think there's balances everywhere and it's going to be fun so i'm really looking forward to exploring this one yeah totally agree dj i don't know if you've had any had much time to play play any constructed this last week have you or last two weeks any any calton standard i have not um i i'd say it's really fun yeah, um, I will definitely want to take a look at it um, as the time goes on. What I wanted to talk about, I know we moved away from limiteds, but maybe people want to hear about this actually. Um, mm-hmm. The Arena Open format was announced for February. Oh, yes. yes. And it's Kaldheim Sealed. How do we feel about Let's that? Let's go. I've played zero games, but I'm really happy. Really, really happy that they've decided to put a limited format back 100%. on the stage of competitive magic. Let's go. Yep, totally agree. Haven't played the sealed format either. I imagine it's quite good, although I imagine a lot of your deck power revolves around how many snow jewels you open in your packs <laughs> rather than snow basics, which kind of sucks. Sure. I'd imagine if you open four, three or four jewels, your pool is going to be really strong a lot of the time. And if you open like five basics, you're you're going to be struggling to put, uh, you know, a really strong seal pool together. Yep. But uh, I think, given that news, I'm going to be jamming a load of sealed. I, I can't believe that slipped my mind. But I, they've been talking for 
well, we as limited players have been complaining for years that limited isn't highlighted in competitive magic, and hopefully this is an indication that they've they've recognised that it has a place. Totally, totally. Hopefully at some point uh, they'll be able to work out how to make draft happen for these arena events, but they had a, a kind of well-thought-out explanation in the article that you need exactly eight people to get a draft to fire. It's just the infrastructure. There's a lot of problems there. Of course. With- with getting that organized, you know what I mean, yeah. uh, for a high-level event with thousands of players. So it's going to be sealed for day one and day two this time around. I mean, I, I understand what they're saying, but I don't understand why they can't... Or can they cut to a, a definite number of people on day two? But then you have the problem of, like, let's say you cut to, like, a multiple of eight on day two, and then 10% of your field doesn't turn up. It fucks up your maths anyway, doesn't it? Like, yeah, you, exactly. there's no way to like, control it. Yeah. Yeah, and there's just what no, no, not enough people for the last bot that fires on the day, and those people can't play, and you know what I mean. Yeah, it sucks. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's enough magic talk for one week. Enough of our boomer opinions. We're moving on to our hand of the week, the uh, the mandatory bit of poker for the week. So as we discussed earlier, we're going to have a, a just played live on the podca- podcast hand that happened in the background while we were playing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna dictate the action. You all so. are gonna shit so. your pants. This isn't only hand of the week; it's hand of the year, hand of the century. It's <laughs> it is it the is, best it is. hand you've ever seen in your life. I think I might have spoiled the result earlier too, but hopefully people know what that was. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're uh, we're playing a two cent, five cent home game. The stakes are high. It's all between friends, but you know this is this is going to be banter for months. Whoever takes home the money. If things go wrong enough here, yeah. I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage. Exactly. It's things are things are very yeah. bad in the Carson household. Yeah, yeah. So we're uh, yeah. So I'm on the button. It falls around to me. I look down under the virtual, on the virtual felt, and I see the Ace of Hearts and the Queen of Hearts staring back at me. Amazing. One of the greatest hands in poker. I raise it up. What do you guys think of this decision? I make a 2.5x. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. Love it. Okay. I wouldn't mind going... Yeah. I wouldn't actually mind going higher. Um, like, I've been using 3x in, like, casual home games, um, especially with um, two fish in the blinds being... Um, <laughs> being our, our friend DJ in the small blind, our friend Dave in the big blind. Considering there's fish in the blinds, I'd go a little higher. I'd even go that's, up to 3.5. Let's go. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I should start. Honestly, the, the button says 2.5, so I made it 2.5, to be honest. Yeah, right, fair, fair. It, would take, it would take a lot for me to change that button. So, uh, okay, yeah, as, as Nal said, we have a known maniac in the small blind who uh, who makes it 50 cent, makes it a, it's a pretty decent range. Taking right? it right? a candy shop. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think I can, I can four bet here. Or I can just call it off. I think in position on the button with such a premium holding, I like just calling and uh, having this maniac just bet into me. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I think ace queen. Yeah. You don't want to get into a four bet, five bet, like four betting and having to five to someone uh, fold to someone who can five bet is a bit of a disaster for ace queen suited. Mm-hmm. So against maybe yeah. like someone who's more collie pre flop, I would maybe consider a four bet but against dj who we know has the ability to five bet bluff i'd happily just take a flop here and call down pretty wide yeah exactly yeah so that's what we do we do call the flop comes ace five four with two hearts beautiful uh so sorry i had ace queen offsuit i think because i just had the queen of hearts oh, okay. yeah because okay. obviously the ace of hearts is on the board I can't actually see my hand here we're looking at dj's hand um but yeah, so I uh, so ace five four uh, DJ. What does DJ do? DJ bets for a quarter pot. It looks like 
just under a quarter pot. So I think on ace-5-4 with ace-queen, just a pretty clear call here, right? We're not scared of anything. Yep, pretty clear call. Uh, DJ's got massive range advantage, but we do have uh, like top of our range pretty much. So pretty clear call. No reason to raise DJ here because DJ has su such massive range advantage that he's going to find some barrels on the turn also. So let's, let's reel him in here. Yeah, that's it. He shouldn't have. Neither of us should have any sets, really. Neither of us should have any five four. Um, and I'd imagine actually that we probably have similar amounts of ace four and ace five. Yeah, yeah. You both have that situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have the exact so same amount. Yeah, exactly. So I'd say it's it's uh, it's pretty neutral. But obviously, I know I have ace queen and DJ can have ace king here. So, so yeah, like the call the. Um, the turn is another four, the four of diamonds. So we're looking at ace, five, four, four. Two hearts, two diamonds now on the table. And DJ, he bets again, making it slightly over pot. So, uh, like, basically just a pot size bet, 10 cent more than the pot. Again, here, I think we have a pretty easy call. We can't think about folding, and it would be bananas to ever raise here. We should basically never have a ranging raise, a ranging raise against a pot size bet here, I think. What do you guys think? Completely agree. Absolutely no re reason to raise here, considering that if we raise, we only get hands worse than ours to fold, really. Uh, DJ might continue with ace-jack or ace-10 or something like that, but really the most of DJ's range is going to be either bluffing or is just slam dunk at this board. Yep, um, so we call it off. And, and just we... to point out, sorry as well, like the ri ahead, the part yeah. of my some parts of my range that have hit this board really hard, like you're ahead of, Yep. Um, so, yeah, there's. If this is easy call all day long. Yep. And the river is the seven of hearts, bringing in the flush draw. Keep in mind, I have the queen of hearts in my hand, so that is a very relevant blocker now. And into a 485 uh, pot, DJ puts the rest of his chips in, which is $2.88. So we're looking at about, what, 70% 70, 70 sized mm -hmm. bet or something like that. Um, so. My instinct here is basically never fold, and if he has ace king, it's a cooler. Um, especially with the with having the queen of hearts in my hand to to block a lot of the Broadway uh, suited hearts combos that he could be he could have a flush here with. I think it's a really relevant blocker. Yep. What do you what do you what do you think? Uh, no. uh, agreed completely. Um, you cannot fold ace queen here. Um, DJ himself can be doing this with ace queen as well to get you off chops and just for pure value mm -hmm. basically right um, so you can't fold and he could even do it every once in a while with ace jack if he had like the jack of hearts something like that to try to get value off yep. ace 10 ace 9 something like that um, so the rule of thumb at home guys if you have a hand that's beating some of our opponent's value range which we do here you are obliged to call you cannot fold because if you fold you let what do you call exactly it? you let them print money with absolutely all of their bluffs so we we just cannot fold here unfortunately and if dj has the ace king or something like ace five or ace four so be it so be you it. know yeah exactly so be or it. so we yeah. call it off uh this is yeah again this is my chances of getting a mortgage down the drain you know this is another five dollars i gotta reel out onto my stars account my bank is calling me up asking what i'm doing <laughs> But uh, yeah, DJ flips over the Ace King. Doesn't even have a heart. Has no fear of the flush draw when I'm just like cold calling every Not street for some reason. No, nope, and yeah, he, uh, he takes home the money. There, there's no way you have a flush after a pot size bet on the turn. Not a chance. Oh, true. No fear. I can have Get an ace. It in. I can have a. I can have a ace. Ace deuce of diamonds. How about that? 
I mean, you can obviously... That's no, yeah, not I a flush. No, I basically have no flushes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, I think this is a nice spot. I think this is a standard one, in fairness, guys. Uh, but I think it displays, like, a river spot really well, is that a lot of players start playing the guessing game on the river in your shoes, Kieran. You can't really play that guessing game. Does he have the better ace or not? Just call with your good aces and you're going to be fine here. You're not going to be bluffed off too much. Um, but you absolutely must call yep. with ace-queen. Ace, ace, ace it's a mandatory call. Ace-ace, I would also call with. I think that's a good yeah, call. Ace, yeah, ace-ace, good call too. Uh, no, ace-ace, I said. Oh, sorry, sorry. But yeah, I think I think I even literally, I think I shrugged while I clicked the button. I was just like, yeah, if he has it, he has it. And, and that's how you have to think about things, guys. You can't, you can't get upset when you lose these pots or whatever. Uh, if you do get upset about losing a pot like this, it's probably indication that you're playing out of your bankroll or something like that. You know, if, if you just, if a slight cooler like this is, is getting, getting you a bit tilted, you know, these are the type of hands that are just completely standard and you should have no real emotional response to when they happen to you. Absolutely. DJ, how did you possibly come up with the line you came up with? So inventive and so, so imaginative with the <laughs> King there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of just came to me in a dream one day <laughs> that yeah, um, yeah. whenever you have Ace King, that you should probably re-raise pre-flop. Yeah. And then whenever okay. whenever you make a pair with Ace King, because it's so rare to do. Yeah. Yeah. Less than half the time it's going to happen. I feel like you should probably just bet. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So. And fish like me will just call you off for three streets with uh, garbage. Well, that's it. Absolutely. In in fairness, one thing I did want to highlight was DJ's turn size, which is a slight overbet size. Beautiful sizing there, DJ. Sets up for a nice size on the river and um, makes total sense given your range and the the board and everything like that. Um, I think some players like me would have messed up my size on the turn and then be stuck in this really weird spot on the river where I have to like over bet it in or like bet half pot or something like that and i yeah. think you've sized really well here on the turn yeah so my if if anybody is kind of wondering about the sizing on the turn there basically that sizing on the turn means that i get to bluff a lot here and i'm gonna have a lot of bluffs yep. on the two heart two diamond board um for a start and yep. it's uh it's pretty connected as well with the four and the five. Um, so uh, my random little small suited gappers and stuff yeah. that it might be three six seven or something has an up and down something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna have a lot of bluffs on this turn. So betting big allows me to have all of those bluffs. Yep. And it really it works out really nicely as well in this instance too because betting big here uh accomplishes pretty much the exact same thing as betting small other than you're getting all the money in on the river against ace queen ace jack and ace 10 whereas uh you're you're targeting an ace to call you right here at this point it's like you have the best ace so you should just make it as big as you can possibly make it while having them still call exactly um like betting uh, third pots here, for example, you're going to fold all your king highs and stuff anyway. Yeah. The only parts yeah. of your range that I'm targeting here are the aces, and I'm going to get paid by those. Love it. Yep. Also, if you bet small, it actually gives me an opportunity to like to raise with a flush draw or something like that. Um, whereas the bit the bigger you make it, the less inclined your opponent is going to be to raise you because they're getting much worse fold equity uh, out of that. So. Exactly. And then when you have the 
the bluff party arrange, like the six seven, for example, you'd hate to get get raised off that hand, right? So you'd rather just put yeah, in a big bet, and, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, there was a funny meme that was put up on poker Twitter uh, a month or so ago. It was like a you know like um, a bell curve, and at the bottom of the bell curve it says new player, and the new player says uh, it's like a picture of a new player it says uh, I have a big hand, better bet big. And then it says that like the top of the bell curve is like the medium player is like, hmm, I better polarize my range here and think about my blockers and uh, make sure I'm covering this, this and this. And then it says the top of the bell curve was like the elite crusher. I have a big hand. Better bet big. <laughs> you, know, <right? laughs> you know, so it just shows. Yeah, yeah. it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is one of those spots where people kind of overanalyze blockers and card removal and whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Stuff like that. There's a lot of situations where that really isn't the most important factor and it should just be a tiebreaker for you more than anything like in this spot you know i'm probably calling it down even without a heart here on the river pretty much every time yeah um so say i did go for that third pot size on the turn and you call and then river comes then the heart comes in yeah yeah. the, the heart comes in and i decide to shove like that queen of hearts while it already was pretty relevant it becomes very relevant then because you block so much of my uh, perceived value range. Um, yeah, which would be like point... queen, queen jack, queen, uh, queen jack, king queen, uh, king queen, queen ten suited. Yeah, all that. Maybe queen nine suited. Yeah, yeah. queen nine, yeah. queen eight suited. Queen you could yeah. possibly be three betting with there. Yeah. So yeah. Beautiful hand. I think that I think that's a really standard, simple hand, but it displays um, displays our the concepts we want to communicate really well. So. Well picked. How did he ever come across that? Come across that hand. Very well done. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> and who can say who played it better? Really, that's, uh, that's a question for the ages. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay, guys. I think that's going to be us for the week. So thanks for sticking around, listening to us uh, moan about limited, uh, kind of uh, praise constructed, and uh, pat ourselves on the back for totally standard poker plays. We'll see you next week. Cheers, guys. See you later, guys. Okay, uh, welcome to the after show segment, uh, everyone. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. We have a return of one of the favourites of the after show segment, um, the uh, the fake news game, where I have some uh, some news stories from around the world that I've picked from the internet and maybe made up a couple as well. And again, you guys are going to play co-op. I'm going to give you the news stories. Um and you guys have to decide whether the news story I give you is true or whether it is made up. So, again, if anyone didn't listen to the last episode, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, even the ones that I read on the internet, I'm going to give them like a verbatim. So I'm not reading it directly from the the news story. And that this gives me a little bit of balance because the ones I made up, I'm pretty much going to have to give them verbatim anyway. And um, basically, if the guys get three right or more, they win. And if I get three out of five, if they get three or four, three or more wrong, I win. Uh, So do you guys want to bet? That's the question. You guys lost. They they lost the game last last time, remember. So um, 
Oh, true. So wait, we're betting against. Yeah, you're, you. You're, you guys are playing together. Uh, you can bet against me if you want to, like, bet a, a boosty each. I'll, I'll bet two boosties, and you have a, a boosty each or something if you want. Yeah, I'm up for that. What about uh, DJ? You good with that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Okay. So it. I'm gonna I'm gonna randomize it here. Um, DJ, sure. Pick a number between one and five. Uh, five. Okay. Number five. Englishman finds biggest ever crunching up cornflake. Um, so. A student uh, almost <laughs> almost choked to death on the wor- world's largest ever crunchy nut cornflake, which weighed in at 36 grams at a massive six inches long. <laughs> right. He, uh, he was pouring it into his cereal and he was, he was on a second or third bite when his dad turned around and said, holy shit, what the fuck's that? And he, it was on a spoon. He's got pictures up on the internet and everything. And... Um, they, he contacted Kellogg's and a spokeswoman for the company said the lump was, and I quote, coating and cereal, cereal particles which have collected during processing. He argued that it was a choking hazard, but they only sent him four pounds in compensation to buy another pack. This is a bit of a bad beat because in 2008, two US sisters were, uh, were quids in when they sold their um, Illinois-shaped cornflake for one thousand dollars, and it ended up in a traveling wow. museum. So a bit of a bit of a wow, bad beat for our amazing. English friend. That is, that is all right. Very interesting, very interesting, DJ. The first thing I'm thinking is, did the size and weight does this add up? Could it really weigh thirty six grams? It seems very heavy. It it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, mm. Like thirty six sounds like a reasonably big number. Thirty-six grams. It was. Doesn't... It was. It was sixty-three grams. By the way, guys. Oh, 63? Oh, 63. So, well, that's... So, oh no, that, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Get that's... that shit out of my face. Um, okay. I was. Is that much do you get? You get a kilo, or you get five hundred milligrams in a in a pack? Yeah, a, a pack. A pack of crunchy nut cornflakes has to be just over a kilo, I suppose. So, I suppose why wouldn't you see recognize that it's incredibly heavy when you took it off the shelf? All right, but I feel like Niall is leading us down a bad path now because he's he's encouraging this kind of talk, DJ. I think we're we got to be careful. Yeah, I what we take from the host. I was inclined <laughs> to believe this story um, up until all the swearing started happening. I thought we were reading this verbatim, and I don't think there's going to be a newspaper out there that. No, no, I'm giving it. I'm giving, you, says, give, giving it to you at home. <laughs> no, no. So he is—he is—he uh, is reworking it in his own, in my own words, gab, as it were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. So, oh, I'm kind of pretty. Uh, Sixty-three grams is so heavy, it seems to me. But yeah, six inches as well. Like, how do you even lift a six-inch thing up on a spoon? You know? Yeah, but I don't think it was right intentional. In Interesting. I think just the mechanics of him not noticing that he had it on the spoon and eating it. <laughs> is not possible. So I'm going to say it's fake. DJ, what do you think? Uh, Jesus Christ, that call. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what the fuck? That was pretty good. That's like, for you. Je- Shout no. out to friend of the show. <laughs> like, Jer is clearly come in with the intention to shove any two cards and he fucking calls with deuces so he guarantees that he's fucking flipping. Let's get, let's, back, back to the cornflakes. Back to the cornflakes. Let's come on. Um, sure, it's fake. It's true. It's true. So oh. I, 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 I'll, I'll post pictures in the show notes of this massive cornflake 
Um, I think the kind of backstory of his dad spotting the cornflake on a spoon is bullshit. Yeah, but the okay, the, gotcha, the yeah, core yeah, of the yeah. story is true that he did he did find the cornflake and Kellogg's did send him the four pounds four compensation. Pounds. Love it. Okay. All right. So one nil denial. Um. Kieran, pick a number between one and four. I'll take number three, please. Number three is Homing Pigeon returns home after 24-year absence. So a New Zealand native pigeon, um, or a Carreru, named Pidge made it back to the natural hatch- or the national hatchery in New Zealand after a 24-year absence. He was hatched in, in the, in the, uh, in the hatchery, lost for 24 years, came back and they discovered him in the grounds. Um, Pidge is no, is no joke. He's, he's a bit of a crusher. He won 2018 <laughs> New Zealand Bird of the Year. Wow. Okay. Uh, so, no, no, no slouch. Um, Emma Bean, who is the, the manager of the hatchery, said he was found skinny and malnourished, but he's been feasting on berries and grapes for a month solid. And, um, Carreros are, they don't mate for life, but they do mate with one partner throughout a hatching season. And she says if that, or a breeding season, if, um, Pidge has a partner, um, she's putting the the feelers out there to p- please come, please come home and see Midge because he's lonely. Wow! All right, DJ, you first. What are your thoughts? So my first instinct about this story is to say that it's fake because twenty four years for a pigeon. I thought pigeons I lived mm. for like four years, five years. Yeah, I don't know if twenty five years for a little bird like that seems. Yeah, that like that that seems that seems super sus to me. Um, I don't. What, I don't what buy else? It. Bird. Okay, bird of the year obviously could could do they have bird of the year? Is my question because obviously Pidge would win if they have it, but is this legitimate competition? This is my question. <laughs> well, I mean, if they uh, if they have it, that, I mean, could you think of anyone else to win bird of the year? I exactly, mean, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a shoe. Yeah, yeah. Now, okay, what are the details we have? Twenty four years. Also, yeah, I just don't really believe that after twenty four years, a, a, a carrier pigeon or a homing pigeon. Why, why after 25, four years would it suddenly come back? You know what I mean? I'm going to go with fake. I'm going to go with fake. Yeah, I agree. All right, it's absolutely true. And uh, I'll put, the, I'll put the, uh, the, 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 the story in the show notes. Um, yep, Bird of the Year champion Pidge, the Carrero, has come back after 24 years. This happened two years ago, but... Um, yeah, really. Lord knows if Pidge is still with us. Twenty four seems pretty old for a pigeon. <laughs> and did it? Do we right. know if it still had the message? Did it have a? Was it? Did it have a message on it, or was it just? <laughs> it turns out it was just a random pigeon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That like that. That's it my. A, it was a publicity stunt. <laughs> that's my suspicion. Like I cannot believe that that bird has lived for twenty four years. But it's yeah, it's the natural insane. hatch. It's the natural national hatchery. Each bird would probably be tagged and stuff like that, right? They have to have some sort of mechanism to know that it's actually pigeon and not <laughs> just some random pigeon. I've all... It's going to be a pretty high quality bird. Like the pedigree on this bird is probably insane. I've also you know, just so. looked up uh, images of Carreros and they look fucking jacked. Oh, they're jacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're big. I, They're I, like pigeons on steroids. Yeah, yeah I do not. Th- this looks like a brew pigeon. Like, yeah, oh shit. Yeah. 
It's like the virgin pigeon versus the Chad yeah. Kararu. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Alright, 2-0 to myself. DJ, pick one, two, or four. Uh five. You can't pick five because five's been done, so it's one, two, or four. Oh shit, okay. Five. One. <laughs> okay, one. Dr. Dre, the rapper, loses trademark... Glad you clarified <laughs> that and not the medical scientist. Thank yeah, you Dr. for that. Andre, my, my GP. Well, well, well. Dr. Dre loses trademark mark battle with gynecologist Dr. Dry. Right? Oh, so wow. <laughs> Dry spelled D-R-A-I. Right? So this case was first lodged... <laughs> He deals with different different types of chronic, you know what I mean? That's it. <laughs> the case was first lodged back in 2015 when a Pennsylvania-based gynecologist <laughs> called Drynan M. Birch tried to trademark the name Dr. Dry, right? So Dr. Dry is, like, he, he's written a couple of books on gynecology, in, in, including 20 Things You May Not Know About a Vagina. And wow. descri- describes himself as one of America's top health experts. He does like, um, you know, like seminars and talking engagements, things like that. And the U.S. trademark office threw the case out, saying there's absolutely no chance that the public would confuse the two. Um, saying that, and I quote, "Doctor Dre is not a medical doctor." <laughs> exactly, that's true. Yeah. And they're spelled differently and pronounced differently, you know. Yeah, exactly. What do you guys? What do you guys think of this? Wow, um, it's, it's very believable. Like it's it's yeah. There's nothing outlandish about it. I I, I, I agree. I'm inclined. I'm inclined to think this one's true. <laughs> I really want it to be yeah. true. As well. The the trademark one of the trademark offices' points as well was that Doctor Dry's fee for an appearance is around five thousand dollars. And no one's ever going to think they can book Dr. Dre for $5,000. That's know? true. So, so. I'm going to say it's true. I'm going to say it's true. Yeah, true. All right, you guys win. It's, uh, it is true. It is absolutely hey. true. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so still in the game, still in the game. All right, Kieran, uh, pick either number two or number four. Let's go with number two. Okay. Number five. So... <laughs> Number five, please. Number two is Man Discovers Roman Prosthetic Penis. So I've got a lot of genitals on the show this week. So uh, Sam Wells, who's an amateur amateur metal detector, has found what has been determined to be a Roman prosthetic penis while walking on West Kirby Beach near Cheshire, England. So Sam only took up metal detecting, you know, when lockdown came along. But And this is, he's only been at it for a few months, but he's found this thing and he brought it to uh, a museum in Cheshire who had an expert evaluate it and decided that it was an expert uh, 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 prosthetic penis and um, the theories are that it was either used, um, so there's, there are a couple of Roman sites in, in, in Cheshire one is the Fort of Deva which was like a, a military fort but it ended up that mm. this thing had um, ended up being like a cultural hub. It would have had like an aristocracy who would maybe have, have visited and they may have had like eunuchs or something like, like that in the uh, in the in the court, that type of thing. And there's also an amphitheatre 
So it could have just been like a, something someone had, and that was the prop, you know, a prop, a prop for a show. Who knows, you know? But yeah. Cheshire Museum have bought the piece off of Sam. Um, they didn't give the fee or anything like that, but they did donate some money to um, a men's t- t- testicular health charity in the process. And they said that once lockdown ends, they're going to display it in their their uh, their Roman collection, basically. What do you guys think of wow, think of good. that? I should call it the Bolosseum. <laughs> <laughs> when I was making this up, I mean, when I was reading this article, I, uh, I was trying to think of penis puns, but I couldn't think of any. There you go. Um, again, this sounds pretty believable to me. Nothing stuck out at me as being particularly fake about this that. This sounds too believable. I am too sus. Believable. You are sus because it's too believable. Too okay. believable. Um, I, I, I heard Nile stumble a little bit at the start there get get some tells out for the lads mm, verbal tells okay we're going to do an episode on that yeah. then this will be our hand of the week right uh, so could be i'm i'm go- i'm going to go i i'm personally thinking fake uh i'm kind of not pushed either way so i'm happy to go with you and say fake yeah. all right Oh, it is fake. I made it up. I made the whole thing up. Yeah. Wow. Nice, nice, well done, nice call, well. Deej. Yeah, nice call. All right, so it's 2-2. We've got the tiebreaker. Wow, how did it ever happen like this? So, the last one. Sharks prefer jazz music over classical music. Study finds. So, Australian scientists have discovered that sharks can equate jazz music with food. So they did this study where they play. They would pump different types of music into their tank, and they found that jazz music they would more often go to like the feeding um, dispensary or whatever the feeding cage that type of thing. And um, they found that when they pumped other types of music like classical, it wouldn't have the same effect on the sharks. And there's a couple of theories going around about this. Either so the sharks use like a, a primitive form of, or not primitive form, a form of echolocation. So they can sense vibrations in the water, that type of thing. Um, and either the sharks are cognit- cognitively knowing the differences in the music, or they're kind of pre-programmed to like react to different sounds. They mentioned that, for example, some sharks have been known to know what the sound of like a boat is, like a motorboat, and stay away from it, that type of thing. So the sharks are kind of familiar with different sounds in the water and they think that the the frequencies or whatever of jazz music kind of like equates to food for them and they they, they associate that 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 sound with food. Um but there are some people who think that sharks genuinely can tell the difference between one form of rhythm or form of music and, and another and sharks are this is kind of evidence that sharks are way more intelligent than we kind of thought they were. Uh, what do you guys think of sharks having a, a music taste? Um, the last sentence kind of hammers it home for me because I was under the impression that sharks are very intelligent mm-hmm. animals, and I would not like I would not dismiss this offhand if a trusted source were to tell me this information. Niall, you are not I, a trusted I'll source right now, yeah, yeah. so. Um, it, 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 it it's a tough one based on that what do you think Kieran? yeah I'm kind of in the same places with the the Roman penis one where 
it's kind of not too outlandish, but maybe that's the key to this. Maybe the least ridiculous ones are going to be fake. Sorry, my cat walked in front of the microphone there, so no, I no, ruined that sentence. But you got, you got the. <laughs> no, it, yeah, I think I think that was fine. Um, yeah, I I'm getting those kind of vibes again as well. Um, we 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 this could just be that Nile is perfectly balanced, as is his poker game. So. Yeah, uh, oh, it, it, it's tough. Like there's boosties on the line and everything. I I'm shaking. Yeah. For, have for I have I balanced time. or have I fumbled the ball? Which have I done? Kieran, I, I think it's fake. You put your you, you put your faith in me for the last question, so I'll put my faith in you for this one. Yeah. It's fake. It's true. I've oh. decided to fumble the ball, I think. I don't know if I fumbled the ball or balanced. I, I, I think the two sometimes go hand in hand. It is true. It is true. I'll link, uh, there's a National Geographic article like I'll link up it in the show notes, which is pretty interesting. Sharks are obviously awesome. They're really interesting. And mm. this was a really interesting study. And 2-0 to Niall on the fake news. We'll call this game fake news. And very nice. I'm sure it'll be a, a recurring theme. Very good. All right. Thanks very much for setting that up, Niall. And uh, I just owe everyone More infinite boosties, apparently. <laughs> I'm still good. waiting on my Cal time one. For, yeah, for, I, for I everybody at home. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's sitting in my account. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks very much. See you guys. Right. Number five. Cheers.